welcome to New Zealand Vegan Podcast episode 49. I'm your host Elizabeth Collins and this week I have a very special guest on the show, Jordan Wyatt, who was my first podcast listener ever and we've been in contact ever since Jordan first um, got in touch with me, which has been almost a year now and it's been ages since I've had him on the show. How are you, Jordan? Hi, Elizabeth. I'm great, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. So we've been in touch for quite a while now, and um, we've seen quite a few things happening. I'd really love it if you could just um, talk about your podcast that you've been doing, Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, and just sort of the the way you came up with the idea, and also the, the format that you use. You use a lot of clips, and you have bumpers from other vegans from around the world, which I just think is really great innovation. So how is how did that all get started, and... Um, what have you got planned uh, for the future in there? Well, with my podcast, initially I had another one under another name, Jay Won't Darts Podcast, and on that I talked about a lot of different topics that I'm interested in, and I realized that most of my topics tended to be about animal rights and veganism, and so I decided I'd split the two and I'd have two, and then I just decided I'd done enough with the original one, and so I just stuck with veganism and animal rights. And most of my episodes, I, I cover stories in the media, and I use clips as my crutch, really. I don't really have that great a speaking voice, so I use lots of clips and try and have other people on. I ask people to uh, record themselves and send in things, and it's all been working quite good. Uh, my next podcast will be coming out soon, and it'll be about nonviolence, using nonviolence to spread the vegan message. Excellent. Um, I really love the work that you're doing and I love your podcast and um, I think you have a great speaking voice actually, but um, everybody is very, very sort of subjective about their own about their own voice um, and the way that it comes out because it doesn't sound the same inside their own heads. But I do appreciate what you're doing because you actually really turned on to what's going on in New Zealand and you always have your finger on the pulse and you actually let me know about a lot of the local developments because I'm often... Um, sort of all over the place and I'm, I guess I'm trying to maybe do too many things at once. We are trying to bring this vegan advocacy to New Zealand and um, I think that it's working. Um, I think that we're doing a pretty good job of it. We are just sort of starting. But um, I just want everybody to know that um, Jordan lives, I mean we've talked before, um, if anybody remembers, um, episode 11 was my first interview with Jordan and he talked a little bit about where he lived and you know um, what it's like to be vegan where he lived. He was a recent vegan then so you've now got, I would say you've actually a vegan for a year now, correct? Yes. Right. And, you know, what strikes me about your situation is um, you are actually in quite a unique situation more than anybody I know. Well, maybe Adam Kahanowitz can relate because he lives in Omaha and it's a very, very, um, there's a huge major industry of beef cattle in Omaha. It's, it's like the state's kind of... Um, Southland, okay. Yeah. But you live in Southland and um, people um, on the other side of the world might not know what that's like. So tell us a bit about where you live Okay, where I live is at the very bottom of the South Island of New Zealand. There's two two main islands in New Zealand, and I'm in the bottom one, the South Island. And Southland is, it's very small really. The whole state, and well, we call it a region. Uh, the whole region has about only 100,000 people in the whole place. Um, and I've heard that Southland as a whole is about the similar size to... Uh, it's smaller than the Netherlands, about the same size, but there's only 100,000 people. It's very sparse, not many people here. 
And there's a lot of farming, especially dairy farming. It used to be sheep farming, and now it's been dairy farming, just as the prices for dairy milk solids have gone up. So it's quite a rural place and quite conservative. It is. And um, the actually, is it true that you really have actually not met any other vegans in person? <laughs> I haven't met another vegan yet. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel blessed and lucky. I've met many are vegans in person. So, you know, your only contact with other vegans has been literally in the virtual world. Um, we hope that that's going to change. You're, you're in a place that's um, a challenge, but we, we need people like you in places like that. It's just the only way that this is ever going to get off the ground. We can't only be located in one place. Um, I'm glad that you've had the strength of character so far to, to, to handle it. Um, now, I know that you're, you're living at home, and you've you've interviewed your father before, and he was working in. Um, they call it the meat meat packers, right? Fr- freezing works, because they're frozen. Ah, they call it the freezing works, um, but it's 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 a slaughterhouse, right? Yes. It's a slaughterhouse, and they call it the freezing. Okay, that's why it's fr- it's frozen. Okay. So, um, but your father is um, not vegan, um, and he probably <laughs> hadn't even heard of it until you ca- sort of did this, do you think that he's learning a little bit more about it, even if he kind of doesn't want to, just from living with you and things like that? Uh, I never talked to him about it. We're very different people. But I do think in some ways, I wouldn't say he respects me for it, but um, he understands that I feel very differently than how he does. And I've heard him talk about it to a few other people. So I guess the word's getting out in a way. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And another thing that you do a lot of is you write to the local paper. Uh, not enough not enough to be a nuisance, but when a big animal rights story will come up, yes, I do write to the new local newspaper. And they publish... All of them. Yeah, they've published everything so far, and it's always been about veganism. Yeah, that's been great. I think it's really amazing. And people just don't quite know what to make of you at the moment, because it's probably the first time that that's ever really happened down there. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's fascinating. And I also, um, because I don't get to meet a lot of farmers, I did my stall um, the other day, and... I met someone who, in fact, I wanted to talk a little bit about about the New Zealand aspect of it um, as well. So you you deal with, um, so you go on some forums and you're actually talking to working farmers who are currently owning farms and currently involved in the industry. And you've actually had dialogues with them. Can you just tell us maybe a couple of interesting interactions that you've had there? Uh, well, it started off when I wanted to know more about how New Zealand farms actually work because we are quite a lot different to larger countries such as America. Uh, we're not uh, we're not as um, intensive in our farming methods, I guess. I guess all the welfare reforms that are trying to be pushed in larger countries where you already have in a way are cows, for example. They live on, on grass. Um, but I started asking the farmers how things really were, and I asked them for their opinion that Recently in New Zealand, we had a lot of coverage about cell stalls and farrowing crates and things to do with pigs. And I asked them if any of them were pig farmers, and some of them are. And I asked them their opinions, and I was trying to learn from their side of the story what they what they thought of the coverage and how the media, if they thought the media was spinning it and hyping it up and, and that sort of thing. And how did that go? Uh, a lot of them were hostile, but I talk to some of them still when I need... Um, when I'm finding out more about how our farms are, but a lot of them were hostile and they've gotten used to me, I guess. Okay, so when you say hostile, did they sort of write you off from the beginning and then you kind of had to earn, you had to sort of almost earn their, okay. Um, Did they think that you were a member of any particular group? 
Oh, I got <laughs> I got called all kinds of names, and some of them thought that I was some of the news reporters because it was a big story being covered by the local the nightly news and in the newspapers, and I got accused of being an undercover reporter on them and, oh my and all kinds of things. <laughs> That's amazing. Can you give us a specific thing that you might have learned? I learned more about what they thought of the scenario, but I didn't really learn any facts that I didn't know before. Okay. What did they think of the scenario? I mean, I can guess, but... Yeah, you can guess. Um, they thought it was being made up and that it was unfair to them, the, the coverage of uh, pigs in very small, dark... With, uh, conditions with cockroaches around, you know, the, the crates and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And they thought that the media and large welfare groups like SAFE, which is a local group in New Zealand, it's kind of like PETA or HSUS, uh, they thought that they were making a big story to get more more members and things like that. Right, okay. Well, that's probably very well true. I don't know about making up the story. So you're saying that the um, farmers denied the conditions that were actually filmed? Are they saying that was only a small percentage? or? I think so, yeah, that sort of thing. Oh, okay. But I know that you go on there. Um, I've seen a couple of the things that you've done, and you actually have gone on there and just basically talked about animal use, um, period, um, regardless of conditions. Um, you know, it's it's not really about the size of the cages and things like that. And I've actually, I know that you have actually sort of confronted them on the actual concept of our use of animals. Well, what happens when you do that to people who, you know, to, when you say those things to to the indu- the industry itself? <laughs> Well, some of them are—they don't take it very, very nicely. Of course, <laughs> they've got a lot of, a lot of money invested, and in, uh, it's been maybe a family tradition. They've, they've got you know millions of dollars worth of equipment and property, and a few thousand cows. So they're not going to uh, change on a dime. No. But they do make fun of it, and I, I try and stick to the topics and try and seem reasonable because, as you say, for everyone that writes a comment back to you, there's always many more people reading. And so at least the word of veganism gets out. Exactly. And um, I wonder, like, what I tried to do um, one time, I went on a, a local story about a tannery in Timaru yes. who um, I believe it was either yourself or maybe it was Sam or William um, who forwarded the story to me. And there were people who were like, well, we went on there and we talked about um, veganism, obviously, because that's what we do. But <laughs> the, the the tannery was very the, – the, the little town um, was very, very excited. In fact, it's not really that small, though, is it, Timaru? Isn't it? Night- oh, Timaru is, t- t- is um, – it's quite big, really, for, for our standards. <laughs> 30,000, 50,000, I don't know how large it is. Right, but it's not a tiny little villa. But anyway, they do have an industry down there. And Dolce & Gabbana has decided that the, the, the deer skin from this tannery is just the, the best kind of process to use. And they were very, very excited because it was this big name. And it means a lot of money and it means jobs. And we went on there and we talked about these things. And it was a really good opportunity for me to present um, sort of the coherent kind of, you know, we're not haters. This is not about, you know, this is not about sort of destroying everything. In fact, just the opposite. And I said, you know, what do you can? What would you think about? You know, it, ve, there are so many vegan products. I mean, vegan clothing. I mean, we all need to wear clothes. We're all we're always going to need to eat. Um, we, I would support unequivocally, hands down, a vegan business. You would be have a loyal customer for life. I let them know that. I said, you know, it's not about. It's not personal. It's not that I don't want this person to have a business and I don't want them to feed their families. You know, let's 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 take ourselves out of it and think about it. I would completely support vegan businesses. And you know, it's funny, Jordan. I didn't get a lot. 
well, I haven't gone back onto that thread for a while because I find that um, a lot of times here people leave comments and then they don't go back. It's kind of interesting. Do you find that as well in New Zealand? People, yes. Yeah, they just leave a comment and then they don't go back. Whereas in the other um, threads, like the worldwide ones, like Care2 and things, the same people will respond and they'll look and then you can have actually have debates. That doesn't happen here very often, but I did notice that after I wrote that comment, nobody brought that up again, this this sort of like, you just want to destroy all our business and you don't care about that, we need to feed our family. That was sort of like taken care of. And I thought that was a really necessary thing to do. So I like the fact that, you know, I think that you've got a really level head about it as well. Well, I noticed with the farmers here, I talk on, on the Trade Me message board. Trade Me is sort of like the New Zealand version of eBay. It's our largest website in the country. And a lot of people just go to the message board on there just to leave messaging. And there's a there's a farm category and I go on there and that's where I normally talk to the farmers. And since they're so isolated probably, the farmers tend to be on the internet quite a lot. Uh, ah. some, of my, some of my threads have had a few hundred uh, messages back and forth on them and I'll bookmark them and come back a few times today just to see what the farmers have said to me. So some people do get into the whole online discussions. Oh, that's interesting. And do some of them, and you say that some of them have kind of gotten used to you in a way, like they know who you are now. <laughs> and do you think that they are listening in a way? Like have they, do you think that they might have gotten over their initial knee-jerk reaction and are actually thinking that you're actually a rational thinking person? Because I know that they think that we're crazy, a lot of them. I do think some of them, some of them, um, I, I notice that they mention me when I'm not talking to them specifically. So at least they're thinking about me as that crazy vegan that's going to pop up, no doubt, every time there's an animal welfare or animal rights story in the news. So at least at least the message gets out, and I always try and be reasonable. Yeah, and it's not always derogatory, is it? I mean, what I'm no, trying to... No, yeah. it's never any name-calling or anything like that. Yeah, excellent. I think we can all learn from you, Jordan. I've watched you in action, and I think that you have a really good... Um, you have a really good way. And, you know, you're sort of like a really typical, I mean, um, you know, Kiwi um, or Pākehā Kiwi anyway. Um, and I just, I've lost touch with that. I mean, I kind of was always a bit of a stranger here. I came here when I was five and I left and I spent so much time in America. So I think that um, it's really, you know, I need to, I can learn from you and everything. I, I kind of, um, I find that maybe my writing style can be misinterpreted because I am not sort of in tune with the the nuances of of this culture here, so I do I am trying to learn from from you guys. I think it's um I'm very very grateful that you're that you're here and that you're doing everything that you're that you're doing. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about something, if you don't mind. Um, I've never been to Invercargill. I've 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 only been I've been to the South Island, but I I just went there to pick apples, um, so that I could save money, so that I could go overseas. But I got to travel a little bit. I got to um, go down Westport Way, which was some of the most spectacular scenery I've ever seen, and I got to walk the Heffy Track. And I did go to Christchurch once. Christchurch is as far south as I've been, and so I'm not quite sure about the demographics. But um, do you have Maori people? Um, in your town and in your neighbouring, you know, in your schools and things like that. I mean, is there a lot of Māori people down there? We do, but uh, not as much in other places. It's mostly a very conservative white part of the country. Um, I've always grown up, my generation's grown up with people from other countries and ethnicities and the schools and things, and all my best friends tend to be um, different than myself. And 
but until recently it wasn't that way. So right. no, it's quite homogenous, quite a homogenous yes. society. Um, yes, and the ancestry is Scottish mostly, right? That's where you guys get your twang from. You sort of say the R's, you know, you say the yeah, R's. Like work. Yes. And, and Try not we, to say it now. And <laughs> we say work. Oh no, no. I mean, I my um the overseer at the orchard that I worked at, the apple orchard. Um, he was from Southland, and I loved the way that he talked. But you know, it's interesting because um, I know that you know you're. You're in a situation where I'm in a huge, you know, a big metropolitan city that's got all kinds of different people, and it's um, it's an entirely different ball game for me. So the work that you're doing is is really really valid, and I don't think that I think it's not as easy for you to just sort of set up a stall on the main street the way that I can. We've talked about that before, but yes. um, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, the last two times I did my stall, I kind of want to do a podcast episode on this as well. You know, we we need we often get accused people who are promoting the abolitionist approach um, or creative nonviolent vegan education as a way to shift the paradigm. We get accused of by certain other people who are also claiming to want abolition, but um, claim that we must um, use violence, and I know you're going to do an episode on that, and I look forward to hearing it, and also that we're, we're, we're foolish, that we're very elitist, we're all just a bunch of white people, and we just send each other blogs and emails, and we don't actually get in touch with any other cultures, and we have no idea about the realities of the world, you know, what about Africa, what about this, what about that, and I think that, you know, they're very misguided, first of all, I mean, we, want, we, want, we would love more than anything. We're trying to get every, everybody else involved, but we can only do in our communities what we can do. And I would really love it. Um, I'm really, really hoping one day to meet a Māori vegan and someone in Tongan vegan because we do need members of each community. That's, you know, like I, we have Chinese vegans here. We have lots of Indian. And so they can, you know, represent their communities. I don't speak their languages. I can only do what I can do. I mean, I would reach out to the Latino community here, but it would be even better if one of a member of their community were to do it. So you're probably in your society at the moment, you're probably the best representative because you, you're kind of the mainstream of that society. And I think that that's, that's something that we have to take and keep in mind. I mean, we have to work with what we've got. That definitely doesn't mean that we can't reach out. I mean, I, I'm really, really wishing that a Maori would come up to me because I get there. The last few times I did a store, there was um, a, a gentleman came up and he said, "You know, this is you know he." he the history of this country is troubling, you know, the same as any other country and, and la la la, the history of the human race really. But he said, you know, this is, we were here and, you know, ha, you know, you don't belong here. And because of my accent, he thought that I was American or something like that. And, you know, I'm not really like a, I mean, I wasn't even born here, you know, I mean, my mother was and she was raised here, but, um, and I was raised here from like the age of five, but I wasn't born here and everything. And, and then, and I said to him, you know, and he said, you know, what about us? What about our, you know, plight? Like, what about, you know, we don't judge us and this, you know, we've been sort of fishing and, and hunting here for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And you come along and there was actually a demonstration for a full-on, 
Wollongong. Have you heard of yeah. that? Yeah. Right next to me. And he said, and look, and they're coming here and they're protesting. He said, what about us? What about the problems in our country? And it was the basic argument, the what about human rights? You know, how, how, you know, why are we not fixing the human problems before we fix the non-human problems? And I think I, t- I tried to get through to him and we had a good talk. And I said, you know, it's not that I'm dismissing this. And I said, you know, but I was really hoping that he would get interested. And then, um, and he, he backed off a little bit and he and he didn't remain angry at me he 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 was not convinced and he was still um upset but he heard i managed to get through to him that i'm not just representing non-humans and that i am and i said no matter what country i'm in i don't care if i'm in the north pole i'm going to have a stall about animals i said look this happens everywhere i don't care what country you're in and it just so happens that i'm in this country now i came back to this country so i'm going to do it here but this happens everywhere and none of these uh non-humans have anything to do with what happened to you know what happened in this country they're just really innocent victims and i said the only thing you have to do to help them is to stop eating them wearing their skin so it's not about using all your resources and taking all the resources away from human rights and human social issues and putting it into this it's just your personal choice you know as a consumer so that made him think i, I mean i think that i did you know that was a good effect but i would love more than anything for a member of the um maori community to um go vegan and do advocacy i think it would be incredibly incredibly powerful so if i always you just never know if there's anybody listening who's maori someone or tongan or any member of any group of any, uh, you know any group of peoples in new zealand who don't have representatives um you know uh we would love to um work with you and reach out because you know i mean i'm not saying that I can't reach out to anybody. I, I'll talk to anybody, but it does help if, if if it's it's one of your peer group or something like that. You know, that's why we have like young people doing this so that so that young people can relate to them, and we we have older people like you know to relate to the older generation. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we need it across the board. Um, but I do think that you're probably the best advocate in your community because you're sort of a a um a real um typical if in a way part of your community you know your father was uh, w- worked in the in the freezing works like so many other people it's one of the main industries down there you didn't sort of come in from outside do you know what i mean <laughs> yes i think that works in your favor whereabouts was the state that you mentioned before was it omaha omaha did you, did you mention yes is that a, a city or is that it's a st- it's um oh sorry Nebraska's the state yeah, yeah. Omaha's the city Nebraska's the state um, but there's a lot of um, cow uh, beef they're beef known for farming. exporting meat isn't it Omaha steaks I think I've heard of yeah yep yep that's, that's right. interesting because just today I was reading one of the links that you had on Facebook and it was about uh, a meat is trendy thing yes. about vegetarians and vegans deciding that meat what was the term they used a uh, conscious carnivorism or something like that and on that on that page, there was an ad for Canterbury Fresh Lamb. So New Zealand's quite a big exporting place as well. Canterbury is a few hundred kilometres from where I am, but it's a similar situation. Mm. When I was talking to Porolita, we found out that um, New Zealand yes. uh, dairy products are over there. We provide, I mean, you know, one of the things I got into a really deep conversation with another New Zealand Māori, actually, um, and he was, he had the same issue, but he actually was so 
cool to talk to. It was unbelievable talking to him because in the beginning, he was absolutely furious and he said, how dare you sit there and try to accuse us and try to make us feel guilty and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then we ended up having a really, really big, um, a big, big talk about it. And we had a talk about the economy and it was good. It was, it was good for me to practice because the reality is we all know that the reality is, is that, I mean, and it's not just New Zealand, Jordan. We happen to have an overwhelming amount of our industry, of our income. I believe it's 65% of our nation's exports. Is that, is that a correct yes. figure? That's it's something like that. It's just huge. I mean, but the bottom line is so many industries in this world are made from animal use. I mean, Nike, you know, the huge food industries, the pharmaceutical industry. It's the entire world's economy in a way. I mean, I really, really think that it's probably 70% of the world's economy is something to do with, I mean, I throw figures out randomly, so I could be wrong. If, if anybody has a figure, I would say it's more than 50%, though, because everywhere you look, when you're vegan, as you know, Jordan, you, you see things and you say, well, that's animal exploitation, that's animal exploitation, and I very rarely don't see uh, an industry that's at least has something to do with it do with it if not based on it and um and you know we just have to keep reminding people that you know entire countries were based on the slave industry and they had to change and find new industries and um well new zealand as a country is all about exporting meat and, and now dairy dairy's been the oh, latest thing yeah but dairy for decades we've been like new zealand butter i think that's quite popular in the uk during the war that was a big export from new zealand and frozen Whoa. meat we were one of the pioneering countries for that yes wool and seafood, fishes and mussels. I mean, it's 65% of our entire... I mean, we're exporting um, dairy products to China now and they're growing in their sort of... West, their, you know, their meat and, 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 and dairy consumption is rising. And there was some fallback from, is it the melamine? The scandal about that, Fonterra owned at least part of the, the company that was doing it? Yes, exactly. So there was a big... The, the baby's dying. Yes. Yeah, I believe that the pro- the um, the processing wasn't done here. I think it was an ad- it was it was yeah. added to the milk powder. But it was a New Zealand, at least partially owned company. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And there's there's major trade going on. But you know, it's really good to sort of. I still haven't met anybody who's actually worked in a slaughterhouse. Well, you you know your father your father did, and. When I spoke to the to this gentleman uh, on Saturday, yesterday, um, William was there. We talked about how, because he said, "Look, I know." He said, "I know, um, I know that they suffer." He used to deliver meat to the butchers. He used to be in charge of taking the meat to the butchers. He one of one one of the, once upon a time his job he had a job where he was a delivery guy, and his his product that he delivered was meat from the. And he didn't want to say slaughterhouse. He said, not that, but, and, I, and I said, the meat packers. And he said, yeah, he didn't want to say slaughterhouse. And he said, I heard those animals. I heard them in distress. I heard what was going on in there. And he was troubled by it. And I said, and can you imagine what it was like for them working inside? And we had a big talk about the um, psychological effects of, you know, how you have to sort of, you know, you have to... Um, shut down in a way, I think. Shut down. You have to shut down. And um, and he said, yeah, I can imagine. And I said, you know, I don't think that's very good for society as a whole. You know, people, when you just kind of present these things in, a, in an empathetic way, I had to keep reminding everybody, I'm not judging. We actually, if William's listening, we got accused 
of judging quite a bit yesterday. We really did. How can you come and judge us? And you're telling us. And, and we had to keep sort of reminding them. Um, and once you get through that and you sort of talk abs- abstractly about just the entire institution, and I say, look, you know, those guys aren't getting paid very much money. They're getting injured. They're getting, you know, they have to go home to their families after this this day. And then they have to be gentle and, you know, with their children and they've got these images in their head. And I said, you know, you know, it's got to be having an effect. And he said, yeah, definitely. It's got to be having a psychological effect. And I don't know. I think that um, there's ways of, of, see, the thing is, this guy wasn't doing that job and he wasn't making money off it anymore. So it's a little different than you talking to the farmers who are probably right at that moment involved in some kind of uh planning of some kind of, you know, slaughtering process. I think at the freezing works, at least uh, a few decades ago when my father was working there during the 80s, they did get paid very uh, quite good money. Oh, they and did? They, they probably got quite big bonuses as well. This is just ah. in New Zealand at least. Right, okay, okay. See, but it, it's only seasonal work. It's not full year-round work for one thing. Okay. Um, I guess I am still learning about New Zealand. Um, in the States, they use a lot of immigrant labor and illegal immigration and they pay them very little and they don't have insurance. Well, I believe that they have a lot of uh, people that, like Filipino people apparently, are quite often brought into Southland to work at the dairy farms. So that could be a similar thing. Oh, that's interesting. And a lot of of Dutch people are now farmers. It's sort of a a thing to do over and that the Dutch people like to do. They're quite often dairy farmers and they bring it here to Southland. Oh, really? So you have sort of a Dutch population down there as well? I think so, in the more rural areas, yes. Oh, interesting. Well, they love, um, they do actually have a strong history of dairy farming in, in Holland as well. I mean, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of countries do. Have you had any um, conversations with anybody face-to-face very often? Do you get a chance to do that very often at all? Are you talking about farmers? Anybody, about vegans? I do bring it up. When, when it comes up, I, I will... I will be clear that I'm vegan and the reasons why I'm vegan, I think everyone else should be vegan, but I never forced on people. No, no, no. I, I, I don't mean that. I mean, like, there has been opportunity. Yes, that's what I mean. I do, I do bring it up and I do talk to other people about it. And, um, and in, a, in a general way, um, has the um, community heard of it? Um, I think so through my letters to the newspaper. I think <laughs> a lot of people you. apparently. Yay, through you. <laughs> Yay, that's so cool. <laughs> I get a lot of weird stares when people recognize me. Oh, it's that bloody guy that writes into the newspaper. Oh, wow. Amazing. Because it's, it's how many, what's the population of Invercargill again? About 50,000. Oh, well, that's still quite a lot of people. I mean, you don't know everybody, do you? Uh, it's quite connected. It is quite connected. Okay. And you guys own a store, so you're visited by a lot of, lot of people who get yes. to know you. Okay. Oh, that's that's amazing. Well, talk a little more about um, a little more about your podcast. Um, what gave you the idea to um, do the bumpers? Well, bumpers. That's when I ask uh, other vegans from around the world to record something for me to use. So, hi, my name is Jordan Wyatt. You can find me at da 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 da, and then they'll introduce my podcast, and I use a different one every episode. And that was an I that was an idea I, I did to start getting other people's voices on my podcast since I couldn't always have guests on. And it was just something that came to me. I guess I heard radio shows doing it and I thought, Oh, I could do that. And so I did. Oh, cool. And um I know that you 
you're actually quite technical, technically savvy because my podcast initially started out with no music, no photo, no nothing. And you've actually, um, you inspired me to um, make it a little more, a little more presentable, but I still think that yours is, is sort of, uh, is more technically, um, technically savvy. Do you see yourself? Not as polished though. You don't think so? Oh, I do. Do, do, I think. Do you think? Do you see yourself branching out into any other kind of thing, like maybe videos or or any other kind of sort of advocacy? Because, like you say, right now a lot of your work, um, because you're not really surrounded, you have no other vegans near you. You don't even haven't even met one. So a lot of the things that you are doing are um, computer based. So do you? Th- can you see yourself sort of branching out and doing video and things like that? It's funny you should mention that. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Kaina Morgan, who's an American friend, she suggested next time she's over in New Zealand, she might fly down to Invercargill and we could do a video together about what it's like to be vegan in the South Island of New Zealand. Oh, that's awesome. So that would be great. Oh, that would be so cool. That would be really, really cool. Because I think, you know, I love, um, like... I love the the video medium. I don't I don't really do it as much, but um, apparently YouTube is is an amazing place to to get the message out there. Um, people people really go on that on that site and just. Um... So how tall are you, Jordan? Uh, I'm about one point nine four meters tall. That's about six foot four or five. Exactly. So I love that because you see the thing that this guy said yesterday was, um, I can spot a vegan because they're always just really small and skinny and sickly looking. And I said to him, oh, so I said, look, you wouldn't have known I was vegan. He said, yes, I spotted you a mile away. And then I looked at your stall and I saw, and I thought, well, you know, if that's true, it's quite unusual because I looked exactly like this, uh, two years ago when I was eating (laughs) <laughs> when I was not vegan, I've always looked like this. Um, you know, I've never um, looked any 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 different. Except that now I have clear skin, and I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm like got a better glow. Like I remember when another time I did my stall, this guy said to me, I said, look, I'm really healthy. I'm vegan. It's really healthy. And he said, yeah, you can, you've got a glow to your skin. He said, yeah, I can tell. And this was somebody who wasn't vegan. So you get all these mixed messages. But I love the fact that you're a six foot four or six foot five because you do break the stereotype and walking around in the street. Um, I think that people will get very surprised because there is this image um, in, in a lot of places that there are very, very small and sickly people. Um, so do you get emails from, from other Kiwis and things like that? I do get a few emails, not not as many as you do, uh, but I do get more emails from international people. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? We're we're I think that the biggest basis, the biggest part of the abolitionist movement is in America, and it's really, really, it's begun there, and it is branching out into other countries. But I think that we're sort of bringing it, bringing it, um, bringing it with us. So, have you had anybody sort of reach out to you um, almost anonymously and kind of say, "Oh, yeah, I'm a Kiwi, and I agree with you, and, and everything like that"? Because that happened to me, but they haven't actually wanted to do anything. Well, I've met a few vegetarians in person before. And some of them have agreed with some of the things I've said, and some of them have said they'd like to be vegan. And I say, well, what's stopping you? There's no barrier to entry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So hopefully, you know, our ranks will increase, the great vegan agenda that wants to take over the world. Hopefully there'll be more of us soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think that um, with you and Sam doing your podcast and Sam doing his radio show, 
um, really, you know, local, um, born and raised um, Kiwis. I think that that's, you know, you have the voice of the community, which is what what we really need. I um, you know, I do, I am sort of, um, I'm a mixture. I'm not. Do you know what I mean? I'm not really... I mean, Kiwis still ask me where I'm from, you know. Where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of from here, but, um, you know, my accent's all over the place. So I do think it's really important that that, that you guys are doing are doing this. And um, because it's it's sort of, for example, where you are in Southland, if I, was, if I had moved, say, to Invercargill and started doing these kinds of things, I don't think I would be given as much of an opportunity as you are because you're a local boy you know you're you live there you everybody knows your father and you're a sensible guy and you you know you don't like you know you're you're a pretty um solid kind of member of the community you've got this you know you have a pretty um street cred we'll call it exactly and i think that's just yeah really really important and so um one one last thing about about sort of your your situation and where you live. Um, you know, I know that your friends um, knew that you were vegetarian. Um, we when you were vegetarian, they they were pretty cool with it. And how are your friends um, uh, dealing? You know, uh, now that you're sort of actually an you know an activist, they must know that you do your podcast and everything. So are they are they starting to realize that this is not just a fad and that you're really serious about it? I think so, although some of them joke that it's like a religious experience. A, I'm sort of a born-again vegan or something like that. And they, they will ask sometimes. Um, recently, I had some, a friend that came over to look at my, my chicken friends. And she said, oh, are you allowed to eat the eggs? And I sort of had to explain that if I wanted to, I could eat the eggs, but I just didn't want to. Oh, interesting. Are you allowed to? Interesting. Yeah. yeah, so you can talk about them if you like a little bit. I know that you've got some chickens that you've rescued. Uh, yes, we ha- and we have a, a rooster and a hen, and they've recently had seven chicks, which is quite exciting, and we'll watch those grow up. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting, though, because it's kind of like it's it's a bit of a worry there if they continue to... to you know, reproduce. It's a, oh, we won't let them. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's it's a difficult issue. I know that you are um, not. Uh, it's you. You feel very uncomfortable about the whole sterilization process, and understandably so. Um, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, I know that you. You. You know. You're not. Um, you're not comfortable with cutting open. You, you know, in a way, Roger and I were talking about it. It's almost like a rights violation, you know, uh, practically speaking. And um, do you think that, I mean, can you understand why we do advocate for controlling population, even if it means violating the rights by... I do understand in a larger larger community, I understand that there are cities in the world such as in Thailand, well, that's a country, (laughs) and Bangkok in particular, they have um, quite a a lot of stray dogs, and I can understand that they have a problem. I guess being in a smaller place, I don't see as many animals, if that makes a difference. I I don't see the ill effects of it as such as being so many stray animals and so many animals in the world. So I guess that might be one reason why I feel this way. Right. And also, but I mean, in general, we want to abolish um, pet ownership. I mean, it's just problematic. And really the only way to do that is to prevent, and also domestic cows and you know, and domestic um, uh, sheep and things. Do you think that there's a way that we could, um, like, for example, my dream is to have an animal sanctuary, um, 
I don't know if I'll ever re realize it because of the finances, but say I got a whole bunch of land and I rescued a whole bunch of animals that were fertile, you know, and there were male animals and female animals of the same species. And, um, you know, I wanted to, to rescue more animals um, because there are so many who need rescuing. And if there was any breeding happening, I would be procreating and adding to the problem. I would be unable to take animals in. Um, so I think that what what would you suggest? Because separating the males and females is one way of doing it. Do you do you think that we we should be considering things like that rather than operations? I I guess with some animals it's difficult to separate them, such as our friend Jay said, uh, birds when they mate they're together for life. So right. my chicken friends it would be difficult to separate them, for example. Yeah, yeah, and so you know it's it's a horrible dilemma that we're in. Um, I. I think I hate what we what we have done, and um, you know it's interesting um, when Roger was telling me about how um, you know there are there are you know there 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 could be an alternative method to castration um, for um, the males of this of those species such as cats and dogs, and um, you know um, as a male he's very troubled by that, and it also affects. Um, I mean, not just as a male, you know, as an animal advocate, as a, as a rights representative, he he is troubled by that, and, and 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 it also has a terrible, it has an effect on mood, and things like that. Um, it's just, it's very problematic. But I do, I still, I still think it's a necessary. I hate using this phrase, a necessary evil. I hate that, but it's almost that way because I can't think of any other way to resolve our domestication. I mean, you know, obviously, I'm not about. Uh, you know, I think we, we need to stop thinking we can control wild populations. We Nature's going to have to find some way of getting back in a balance. But when it comes to domestic animals, um, I think we have no choice but to find ways of controlling um, of controlling the population. But Roger was suggesting vasectomies. Um, how, how, does that, how does that sort of make you feel as opposed to the castration option? I guess less is better than more. Yeah, yeah. It's still... And I guess something needs to be done, yeah. Yeah, it's still cutting open um, and operating, and you know. But anyway, this is a difficult a difficult topic. But you and I have talked about it before, and you are, um, yeah, you hold a, um, you have you have shown you have been troubled by this. I know, and I understand that. Um, but uh, I just um, I can't see any other way. If anybody out there has thought about this issue and um, things, I mean, I I think I'm like. I'm very, very hopeful that that once we start respecting non-humans, we will find more peaceful ways of, of helping them. Um, you know, uh, all these other amazing things that we've come up with as a species. So it's also it's sort of like this collective. Like I remember, I was arguing with a farmer actually, and he was saying, "Well, you you don't know what you're talking about. That you know, veganic agriculture is not going to work." And I kept asking him why, and he said, well, we need manure. And then I said, uh, yeah, well, humans make manure. And then he had no answer to that, but he just kept saying, you know. I think I prefer a hydroponic. Well, whatever. I mean, so the, bottom, the bottom line is he's he's insisting that we need animals. And I, 
sort of was challenging him on that. But you see, we have all these experts, and the experts are all animal agriculturalists, and they're the only experts out there, and they have a vested interest in it continuing. But once we get a, more, a critical mass of people who are all kinds of things, we get producers, we get scientists, you know, we get veterinarians, you know, who are vegan, who have, who have a respect for animal rights, then things will start to be invented. You know, you're, you're a great admirer of the human invent, inventive capacity. So do you share my uh, my uh, hope? Well, it's not even a hope. It's a belief that once we, you know, these problems that we're finding is almost insurmountable because there's just nobody's thinking about them. I think that we can easily overcome those kinds of problems. I think we're perfectly capable of those kinds of things, don't you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Jordan, is there anything else that I've missed that you've been um, – we try to stay in touch as much as possible. I've been behind on on a lot of um, simple things um, like catching up on what everybody's doing. So um, is, um, is there any other major news stories going on in New Zealand that you think we should be covering? Well, I would like to bring up one thing. Uh, recently I've been reading more about an American group called the Center for Consumer Freedom – which is, have you heard of that? Oh, yes, I have. And I, I just found it interesting. Basically, it's a non-profit group that's funded by the fast food companies and the like and meat industries, uh, tobacco companies to, to promote the idea that basically vegans are telling everyone else how to live their lives. And I thought it would be quite interesting if you had a, an idea about what we can do if we get that kind of situation in New Zealand. I don't think the New Zealand... Uh, we say the beef and lamb industry, mainly, I don't think they really have anything against vegetarians. I've looked through their website, and they say things such as uh, uh, lean beef and lamb, it's good for iron levels, and maybe vegetarians could be lacking those, but they've never really been anti-animal rights activists. Do you think that in the near future they'll become that way, just as there's more vegans, or is it because there's not enough uh, vegetarians and vegans at the moment? They just don't bother with us? Yeah, I think that the latter. I think that you're absolutely right. There is no um, direct um, threat to their industry in New Zealand at all. In fact, we met an Indian girl who's turned around and leaving the country because she's found it so incredibly vegetarian unfriendly. I was quite astonished because there's so many Indian... I mean, she is a, a lacto-vegetarian. I mean, she eats dairy products, although hopefully we convinced her We convinced her not to. We, we tried to, to educate her on that. And she said it was just so incredibly vegetarian, unfriendly here, and she encountered so much hostility and, and so impossible to, um, to, to deal with that she's leaving the country and she came here to visit. And I thought that was quite surprising. I think you've made a really good point because right now the... Vast majority, there's not even a lot of vegetarians here, but the beef and lamb industry, don't forget, well, no, maybe not the lambs, um, maybe not the sheep industry so much because I'm not sure how much sheep's milk products we use, but wool, I mean, it's all interconnected. Vegetarians still use wool and they still use dairy and the lamb and industry, if you're not eating the the flesh of the, the lambs and the sheeps, but you're eat, using the wool, you're still supporting their industry. So vegetarians are still supporting their industry if they use wool, and most of them do because it's not, you know, so they're not being threatened by vegetarianism, even if... It's funny you mentioned sheep's milk because just on the next block from me, we have a dairy factory and that uh, pasteurizes or it, it does something to sheep's milk anyway. 
And in New Zealand, we have sheep's milk ice cream, apparently. So apparently they use every part of the sheep. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I think that you've made a really good point. Vegetarianism threatens nothing, none of the industries, because even if they're not eating the flesh, they're drinking the milk. And the milk, the, the cows that... Um, produce the flesh for the milk industry are, um, you know, they're all related to the dairy industry. The veal industry is directly related to the dairy industry. Who's giving birth to the male beef, you know, to the male beef? I mean, I'm not really sure how the whole... um, I don't know how the you probably know this, Jordan. I mean, the veal industry is directly related to the um, to the to the to the um, dairy industry, but beef, as it is, is that an adult? I mean, how old is a is a is a bull who's slaughtered for beef? Um, apart from a dairy cow that's slaughtered for for beef, do you have any idea how how that industry works? I'm not quite sure exactly. Although I don't think do we really have veal in New Zealand? We don't really call it veal. We have bobby calves, which are Male, cow, uh, male cattle that are a few days old? Is that yeah, that's veal. Thing? I grew up eating veal. My mother used okay. to cook it a lot, Wiener schnitzel a lot. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, it's a horrible thing to think about, but I did. Um, so I, don't, I think that you've made a really good point. I don't think that vegetarianism threatens any of these industries. I really don't. Not, not as it stands. So you're right. I think you're, there's a very strong chance that there will be a counter-movement, as Roger puts it. Um, but the thing is that there, it kind of already exists, this counter-movement, because for years and years I grew up watching ads that said, this is, only, this is the amount of beef that you have to eat to get iron. And then they would have, remember those ads? Maybe you're, yes. you know, and then they'd have like a, an enormous bowl of spinach, like a ridiculously <laughs> large bowl of spinach. And then if you have to eat this much spinach. So the propaganda, the counter movement is already going on. They are in control of all the advertising. On a recent TV show, they had a beef and lamb nutritionist woman. And they said something about this tiny amount of lamb would give you enough iron. And it was was quite small and to get the same amount of iron the woman said you'd have to eat a whole loaf of bread or something ridiculous yes that's been going on for exactly that's been going on for a long long time here that's a recent example exactly and um yeah that there is um you know i talked to people i learned something from porolita because she said that she said to her friend you know where are you getting your information that you have to drink milk to get you know you have to drink cow's milk to get calcium and her friend thought for a second and said uh you know the milk ads and she's like how convenient and i said that to people before i said who's telling you this stuff you know um i also think i mean i don't know enough about um i don't i'm not there's just so much to learn you know but i do strongly i have heard a lot and i don't know if you have jordan that when it comes to absorption when it comes to your body's ability to use the minerals that you're putting into it so you can take that lamb and then the like if you take it to a lab and you dissect it and you find this term it doesn't necessarily mean that you're absorbing it because you're not getting it in the form that your body needs it you know we don't you know we're not really designed to sort of obtain our iron from those products um we're you know we're we're designed to get our calcium from from broccoli and from from greenery the way the cows do you know cows are they're they're herbivorous and they have these enormous intestines and so people people don't they're not being educated about that so i think it's, it is useful for us to know but when it comes to the ccf um 
I think we do, we will have to keep an eye out for that. I mean, we've already got. Remember when you did your? Remember when you very first started? Very very first started, and you had Inver Veggies, which was a vegetarian friendly blog. I just wanted to mention it was and vegan since I was the only vegan. <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, but you were you were you were vegan when you started that, and you did talk about veganism on there. But it was it was um it was there was a pro meat guy. Remember. Yes. And he has a pro-meat blog, and he calls himself pro-meat. And I looked at that, and he came on my blog, and he left some comments, and he left some quite nasty comments as well, which I didn't publish. And I realized it was him um, because he forgot to be anonymous one time. He was signed into Google or something, and it showed up. And um, I thought to myself, this is good. Um, this, this just shows when they start doing those kinds of things, it means we're having an effect and we're going to have to find a way to deal with it. But the bottom line is we don't control the media. We don't control the advertising. The, the people with all the money, are the, especially in New Zealand, are the dairy and the um, animal product industry. They have all the money, so they have all the power. So they control the advertising in the newspapers. They control the advertising on TV and they control all of the information that's been given out. And we can't... Um, we can't try to beat them at that. We don't have it. So the, what we have to do is what we're doing. That's the only way to do it. Once we start educating the general public, then they will look at their advertis, at, you know, at the advertising with a more discerning eye. We need, to, you know, we can't beat them at their own game. We can't get to the top. That's what makes me laugh about people who think that we can sort of start at the, you know, at the at the in the power structure itself, you know, no, we can't. I mean, I don't have the resources. If if I was able to come up with, you know, I could make an ad with Gary Francione and we could get it produced and it could be an ad. Of, we could get a vegan nutritionist and oh, all the these. The world is vegan. Billboards would be, you know, think oh, about the yeah. cost of that. Exactly. But they wouldn't allow it because they have the control of the media. We need to take control of the media. What we're doing is taking control of the grassroots media. And right now, that's the most effective. Hmm? Well, I do think it's the most effective. I, if I think about our local newspaper, The Southern Times, one that I write into all the time, uh, probably it's probably half ads, half advertising, and at least half of that would probably be for farmers and things to do with you know the meat and the dairy industry here. And yet, you, th you think about all the money they must spend for those ads. I, I think it's a couple hundred dollars for the average ad. And if you think about the coverage I get just from a letter every now and then, I mean... I'm sure a lot of people just skip the ads in the newspaper, but just by being talking about animal rights, I get more noticed, I'd think. So in a way, we don't really need to have a lot of money. We don't need to have hundreds of millions or a billion dollars like HSUS has. Yes, exactly. That's where I was going with that. And that's what makes me laugh about this, this tactic. And I think there's very pretty sound kind of you know, sensible evidence and that's one of them but you know um the ccf really um it it's uh it makes me physically ill when i when i think about them because it's very it's um well they they've actually debated they've gone on um opposing views have you ever gone on opposing yes, views yes I, I look on it quite often oh okay um i i mean i there was Gary. Gary Francione's done a lot of. They've posted a lot of stuff on opposing views. Also, Bob Torres from Vegan Freaks. Um, yes, did one on there. And they 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 have their they have their finger in that. Um, they they have that their finger in that vegan pie, <laughs> the C the CCF. And they are they do have a lot of resources. But like you say, the 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 information that that we have and the way we have of disseminating it is um, is is very very effective. So. You know, and I think it's just I'm very 
we're really lucky that you are um, a very sensible person, well-spoken, you know, articulate, because, you know, if, if you were there and you were writing all kinds of things like, oh, you corpse munchers and stuff like that, I mean, can you imagine the damage that that would do down there? I mean, it would just yes. be, it would just be almost irreversible. So, um, big thank you to you for, for being there. And I know it's hard. And, you know, if I like, you know, win a scratchy, I'm going to, you're going to come up to Auckland and we'll like take you out and you can meet, you know, you can meet you all You can show us. me all your vegan shops and show vegan restaurants. Vegan and... shops, vegan restaurants, and you can meet a real vegan in the flesh. How would <laughs> that be? <laughs> That would be great. Yeah, I bet that would be. Okay, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we've got to do this more often. And, um, you know, really think you're doing such great work. And everybody listen to uh, coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com, the, the podcast. And follow Jordan on Twitter. It's jwontdat. And that's an anagram for the name Jordan Wyatt. And I will post all these links on, on this blog episode and also on Facebook um, as well because we're we're posting all the episodes and things like that. And um, thanks for keeping me posted on all the local news. I really appreciate you keeping your finger on the pulse in the New Zealand local scene. That's something that I um, haven't been doing a lot of. So uh, keep it up, Jordan, and thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Elizabeth, and I hope everyone listening has a lovely day. All righty, then. We'll catch up soon. Take care. Thank you, Elizabeth. Bye. Bye.